0: Good morning and welcome. It's so good to be with you, and for those of you who are online, thanks for joining in. Uh, it's just great to um, be with you on this beautiful day. You know, I love summer, so <laughs> I'm holding on to these kinds of days. I, I, I like fall, okay, but the truth is I know what's coming after fall. So I, I, I just uh, want to cling to these last couple of days of summer. And um, I want to begin by saying something that's not very profound. Um, in fact, it's pretty... Um, you all know this. I mean, we are living in a time in a day and age where we are divided and polarized in so many different ways. In fact, I kind of feel like Captain Obvious from Hotels.com commercials, you know? It's a little bit like saying, Jeff Mickey is an Iowa Hawkeye fan. <laughs> no duh, right? Yeah, we're living in this time, so the question is, how are we going to respond to that, right? Especially as followers of Jesus, as the Church of Jesus Christ... How are we going to do that? In fact, you know, how are we going to follow the ways of Jesus? In fact, the early church, they were called people of the way. They were following the ways of Jesus. And we can kind of go in this direction where we're going to live our own life and live our own way, or we can choose to adopt kind of the cultural values of the day. Or, what I would say, we can choose to follow Jesus. And we can choose to follow His way and to follow his values of the kingdom. And we're calling this, this series, this third way. That's the third way that we can choose to follow Jesus into his way of thinking, his way of being, his values, his kingdom. And so today I want to spend a little bit of time about one way I would suggest that we can respond and we can be the people of God uh, by being those who are willing to be radically generous. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not so much about money, okay? It's more about this idea that I'm going to be radically generous of mind or radically generous to seek to understand another or radically generous in, in, in my time, in my energy, in my resources. It, that's, that's part of it. But can I be that kind of person that is showing deference to the other in a radically generous way, because I think that's exactly what Jesus did. And so this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar story. I know, I'm sure that all of you have have heard it. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And I want us to read it, and we're going to kind of, it's like a stroll in the park, okay? I want to kind of walk through this passage together. We're going to pause, and I'm going to comment along the way. And, and I want, to, want us to see this story maybe in a new way, in a different kind of light, for, with a new lens. And so, if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to, to Luke chapter 10. The first part of this story is really setting the context. And so, it begins in, in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let me just pause right there. So here's the context. You know, Jesus is traveling, and amongst his travelers were his disciples, but there were also onlookers people that just heard about Jesus, and they wanted to learn about this guy. And my guess is this teacher of the law was one who had heard about Jesus and his teaching. And it says, Luke says, he came to test Jesus. In other words, he was trying to trap him, trap him in his words. Trap him in his thinking. You want to expose his false teacher. That's, that's kind of the, the feeling you get in, in the way that Luke sets up this story. Now, here's, here's the beautiful thing. Jesus doesn't fall for it. <laughs> in fact, he doesn't allow himself to be trapped. In fact, he almost sets his own trap, as we're going to read in just a minute. Now, you know, I'm convinced when Jesus sets up a trap... He does it out of a different motivation. He never does it to get you or gotcha. I don't think he was trying to get this guy. He was simply trying to help him think in a different kind of way and, and see a different perspective. So here's what Jesus says. He said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Great answer. I mean, it's like flipping it right back at him. And this is how he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the great thing, you know, in, in Jewish times, I mean, those Jews, they were so concerned about the law, there, there were hundreds of them. And it was a kind of a pastime of, of the teachers of the law to be able to summarize. And so, this teacher quotes Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, hero Israel, hero, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, which says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, Look, good answer. You've answered correctly. And then he says, Do this and you will live. Now I'm reading between the lines here, but my sense is that Jesus is saying to him, Good luck with that. You're right. You answered correctly. In fact, that's the answer that I gave of summarizing the law. Love God, love other people. Now, if you can do that in your own strength, good luck. Do this and you will live. Ah, But the teacher has wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I think this is a critical verse in this story. So this is a context again. So here we have this teacher. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to confirm his own thinking about this, right? He wanted to say, do you agree with me or not? Are you right or are you wrong? Man, I think we're going to come back to this because I think that's a key for us as we think about this. Are we looking to justify ourselves in how we treat other people? So often, I think we do. And so, that's when Jesus tells a story. In reply, Jesus said, he tells a story, a man, we don't know who this man was, probably a Jew, he's from Jerusalem, he's going down to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, here's the brilliance of Jesus, okay? Because Jesus takes a very simple thing, something that everyone would have known about, this this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he creates a story. He talks about this man, probably a Jew, we don't know, he just says, a man, a person like us, was going down the road. And sure enough, I have a couple of pictures with us. This is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. So you kind of get a feel, don't you? This is This is a pretty stark place. And in fact... It was literally down from Jerusalem to Jericho. There was an elevation change of 3000 or there is, it continues to be. It's still there. It goes it, it goes down 3000 feet. And it's not just a walk in the park, friends. It's 18 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was known to be a place where people would get mugged and robbed. And, and bandits and thugs would be along the way, and so it was hard to, hard to get away from them. And so Jesus takes this sort of common experience, and then he tells this story. So let's get back to the story. So a man, he's left half dead. And then Jesus said, a priest, a religious person, right? Who looks an awful lot like the teacher of the law happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he saw the man. But, for whatever reason, he self-justified. He passed by on the other side. Oh, what is this? Well, I, I really need to get to Jericho. Or, maybe he's already dead. Or, he probably deserved this, right? We, I mean, it's, I'm just thinking about all the things that I do, right? I make my own excuses for whatever reason. We don't know. Jesus doesn't say why, but he saw him and he passed by. But he, somehow in his own mind, it was, it, was, it was good for him to keep going. Maybe it was a setup, a trap. Maybe it'd make him unclean. It's amazing what commentators will do with this you know, and create excuses for these religious people. So it's kind of funny. You know, I'm thinking about myself here. Why do I pass by? Well, then, so to a Levite, a more religious person. He also sees. And he passes by on the other side. And then it's this flip. It says, but, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan... A moral outcast, a racial outcast, a religious outcast. He sees, as he traveled, came to the, where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. In other words, he paused, he saw, and he, he worked with him. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. In fact, he, he spent time with him to make sure he was okay. Then the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Now, denarii, that's a pretty significant uh, amount. I mean, I think it's about a half month's wage. It's a couple weeks' wage. So he's, he's coughing up some serious dough. Now think about your paycheck, your monthly paycheck, and half of it going to the innkeeper to take care of that. And he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. He said, and when I return, I will b- reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. In other words, I'm going to give you a blank check. I want to make sure he's taken care of. And then Jesus asks a simple question. This is the reversal. This is sort of the crux of the matter. He says, he says to the teacher, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Not is, but Was. A neighbor, to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. <laughs> the expert in the law replied, "The one who had mercy on him. you can't even say it, can't even say. It. it was the Samaritan. Just the one who had mercy. And Jesus told him, "Go, go and do likewise." So go to the next slide. I want to summarize this this sort of story, if you will. So, the expert in the law has in his mind neighbors. For him, a neighbor was defined. And we can kind of look at the next slide, which says here, a neighbor looks like me. A neighbor acts like me. A neighbor believes like me. So in his mind, he had these sort of categories of neighbor and of enemy. Those were the people who were the, really, mostly for the Jews, it was Gentiles. It was people outside, sort of, they were the racial outcast, like the Samaritan. They were the moral outcast, like the Samaritan. They were the religious outcast, like the Samaritan. Now, in the Old Testament, there was some teaching about welcoming the stranger among you, the one who came to you, live among you but those were the categories that this Jewish teacher was thinking about. Now here's Jesus, and he flips this whole thing. My neighbor is anyone on my path within proximity of me who has need. That's my neighbor. Anyone on my path who has need. And so in some ways, you see in this story, being neighborly is, is radical, loving our neighbor as ourselves is this idea of radical generosity, you know. So the question is, does that really happen today? <laughs> I have a story that I love to share. In fact, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but four or five years ago, it was about this time of year, I think it was late August, and my wife and I, we are... Um, you know, outdoors, and we're saying, man, it is a beautiful day, we ought to take advantage of this day, and we're, so we decided we're going to throw our bikes in the back of our van, you know, the most sexy van alive is a Honda Odyssey, right? So we throw our bikes in the back of the van, and we're going to go up to Clear Lake, and we're going to ride around the lake, and spend some time at the lake, and so we do, we head out, and you know, we're going along, and, and somewhere, we're somewhere in Franklin County, you know, Franklin County to me is about one big cornfield, corn right? So I was going west, I know that. I really don't even know exactly where I was, but I was going west, and I knew that I somehow I needed to go north. And I was on this county road, and I come to a stop sign. And as I was coming to a stop, i hear this literally like that. It was my back tire. It just exploded. And I'm like, course, I probably said a few choice words, you know, underneath my breath, and I get out of the van, and then I'm walking to the back, and I'm seeing this, this I mean, it's just flat, it's just on the rim, and, and I open up the back of my, my sexy van, you know, and there, in there, I'm looking at what they call a spare tire. I don't know what that thing is, right? And then I'm thinking of a tinker toy. I think that's what the jack was, what <laughs> they give you. I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? It literally, I thought, a rector set, you know, right there. And I'm like, oh, we just wanted to have a day away, right? And so I'm on the phone calling my roadside service, and out of the ditch next door comes this angel of God. His name was Denny. He was mowing the ditch next there, and he comes off, and he comes out, and he comes over, and he said, hey, how's it going? He said, not so good. I'm asking him, where am I? I'm trying to explain it. I'm trying to call for some roadside service. Oh, he said, they're not going to come on Saturday afternoon. He said, hey, how about I help you? He said, I have a shop just down the road. You know, it's about a mile down the road. I've got a jack. You know, I can help you. We'll we'll get, get your tire going and change. And I said, that would be fantastic, you know. And so he goes, and he comes back in this beautiful red diesel truck. I mean, it was, it was, it was a really nice truck, and um, right next to my sexy minivan, right? So, he comes, and he's got a jack, one of those things, you know, you actually can lift something with, and then he, he starts in, and he's got my, my van up, and he's changing the tire, and I'm like, dude, can I help you? He said, oh, no, no, I got this. I'm, like, questioning my manhood at the moment, right? I just, like... I felt so strange. He just wanted to do it and help. And I said, okay. So he, he does it. He literally puts that thing on there and uh, takes the flat tire off. And, and he said, hey, what were you guys doing? He said, well, we were hoping to go to Clear Lake and ride our bikes. He said, tell you what, let's just throw this flat tire in the back of my truck. And why don't you put your bikes in the back of my truck? And we'll go park your van down at my shop. And you guys go to Clear Lake. Who are you? I mean, are you drinking? I mean, I don't know. It's like what is the deal? So he he did, he, we we follow him back to his shop and uh you know, he gives me the keys to his red diesel truck. I'm like, "Can we just make a trade right now?" I mean, uh, anyway. He said, "Ah, no no big deal. We'll we'll connect." You just go. And so we did. We left. We went and had a an amazing day. And, the, and we drove from there to Clear Lake and all the way back home. And then the next day I had to teach here. And so I drove the red diesel truck to church here because <laughs> it had the, the tire. I was feeling pretty boss, you know. And, and so I went to Walmart Tire Center. We got the, the tire fixed. And I called him. I said, hey, can we connect? I've got the tire. And sure enough, we go back and um, we're there. And he's like, Sure enough, again, he's like, not letting me help, he just takes the tire, he's already got the van jacked up and the, the thing off, whatever that donut is, and he's got that all put away, and, and he's like, just like the NASCAR pit crew, I mean, he was amazing. And I'm like, why did you do this? He said, well, I just saw you had a need, And he said, I walked up, and believe it or not, I, I thought I recognized you. I'm like, what? And so we started talking and he's like, you know, somehow we got onto this thing where he had a son and uh, his son actually lived in Ames and I was a pastor of a church in Ames and his son went to our church and he had been to our church and he, his son actually stood up at a wedding that I officiated at and he was at the wedding, so he knew me. It was crazy. But that was radical generosity. Just treating, he saw a need and he did that. So I think this Samaritan gives us a little bit of a model for us, something that we can learn from, something that we might be willing to do. I want to just look at these, these points here. The first thing, he demonstrated empathy. In other words, he didn't just see, right? The religious leaders saw too. But it said he had compassion or he took pity. In other words, the word is actually a big long Greek word called spelunkni. It's like he had a feeling in his gut, in his spelunk. He took compassion on him. So he didn't just see them, but how in the world can we as people seek to understand the other? That we can be moved in our gut to be able to respond, to see people on our path and say, They've got a story to tell, I wonder what it is. Can we be moved to see that? But then he did more than that, he, he obviously dealt with the physical needs. He went, he bandaged him, he poured wine and oil, It's like the healing sort of elements of the day, and then he takes him to the inn, he sacrificed his time, his energy, his resources, he made sure he was okay, then he sacrificed financially. He gave. Like, wow. This is really powerful. This is what the church has done. This is what the church, I'm convinced, has always done. They've set themselves apart because they chose to respond to people like Jesus would respond to people. You know, I just read an article just a few weeks ago that really struck me. It's about a little town in France, in south-central France. It's called Le Chambon. I'm probably not saying that right, but it's a little town of about 5,000 residents. And the reason they made the news is because there was a gift given to the town. A 90-year-old man gave a $2 million bequest in his family's name to this town, to this community. And so here's the backstory of that. In 1940... In the winter of 1940, after the defeat of France, a Jewish woman fleeing the Nazis knocked at, at uh, this pastor and his wife, Pastor André Trocmé and his wife Magna. I, I, I'm sure I'm butchering their names, but André and Magda. they were residents of this village and they, they led a congregation, of a Protestant congregation called the French Huguenots, right? And this woman came to their door. And so Magda felt compassion. She attempted to secure false papers for her, but the mayor refused to help. Well, that didn't dissuade them. So in fact, according to one of the historians that that wrote this story, Pastor Trochme began to exhort his congregation to shelter people of the book. He said, we need to help the people of the book. And in fact, people did respond He said, we shall resist whenever our adversaries demand of us obedience contrary to the orders of the gospel. And so the church responded. They volunteered. And so when more Jews would arrive in the town, Andre would announce at church that day, hey, we've got some more Old Testaments in. Anybody want one? And they responded. Well, it said local officials actually got tipped And they tipped the Germans. Uh, And so they searched all of this community, all Le Chambon, but they couldn't find anyone. And in fact, they saved more than 5,000 Jews together. It was incredible. And the reason they couldn't find them is because this French Protestant group, back in the, the days of the Reformation, they were a persecuted minority. So way back in the 1500s, they developed safe houses and safe passageways. And those safe houses and safe passageways in those hills of south central France were still there. And they hid the Jews there. And it was an amazing thing. So, this 90 year old man in 1940 was a 10 year old boy who was rescued by these Christians who simply saw people in need and responded. You know, how in the world did the early church, how can we, I think maybe that's even a better question, how can we be that sort of radically generous? (laughs) Well, I'm convinced it requires something of us to know something, to know what we've been given, to know who we are, to adopt this attitude Not of what we don't have, but being thankful for what we do have, especially in Christ. To adopt an attitude of gratitude. I'm convinced these Christians believed that they were given something so much that they were willing to sacrifice that much. Are we there? I want to just take you back to Luke chapter 10, the very beginning. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Listen to that question. That is a question of salvation, isn't it? What must I do to inherit life eternal? It's a huge question. Now, for, for Jesus, he probably answers that in one way. For the, for the Jew, answered in another. In fact, I would say this. If you start thinking about this, this context, you have the expert in the law saying this. The expert in the law, salvation is a choice. Salvation is a choice between following the law or doing what's right in my own eyes. And so for them, it was a little bit like a ledger. You know, if I do enough good, if I do enough right, if I do enough following the law, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it. I'm going to get my ticket. That's not Jesus. Here's Jesus. Salvation is a gift, friends, and it's found in me. You can enter the kingdom through me, come to me. It's a gift. Therefore, I'm accepted. I simply choose to obey. I don't have to follow the law. I just follow the law of Jesus, the law of the Spirit, the way of Jesus. I choose to. Why? Because He chose me. Why? Because He offered me all of this. Now think about the story, just for a second. What if, what if, The Samaritan, who is that broken one, left half dead on the road. What if that's you and me? In need of rescue. In need of someone to come alongside us. Someone to help us. Who does? It's the Samaritan. Actually, the man is the one on the side of the road. The Samaritan comes, right? He crosses all the boundaries. He crosses all of the boundaries. And he comes and he sacrifices his time and energy and his resource. What if the Samaritan is really Jesus? He's the one who crossed the boundaries. The early church, I think, and and people who are followers of the way, I think, have come to know and understand what Jesus has done for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are suffering miserably, They're being persecuted by the Jews and by the Romans. And he's reminding them over and over again, look, you have a hope, a living hope, a treasure in heaven that's waiting for you. You had Jesus come and he, through his sacrifice, gave you freedom and joy and now he has entered into heaven. He's waiting for you. And he reminds them in these verses in chapter 2, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have been rescued. What are you going to do about it? Can you become a person who's willing to be radically generous as Jesus is generous with us? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your love for us, your willingness to cross all kinds of boundaries, to be with us and among us, your willingness to sacrifice your very life, your very resources on the cross for us, the fact that you choose us, that you invite us to be with you. God, help us to join with you in loving this broken world. I pray that all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.